Well, good evening and Merry Christmas. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. And it's such an honor to have you with us tonight and for including us in your Christmas Eve tradition this evening. Uh, what I want to do is just take a moment to talk about things that get tangled up together. And when I say a moment, I mean a moment tonight. We got kids in the room. I know the time is of the essence. I think of myself as a very fun person, but I don't think I'm fun enough to entertain your children for a 40-minute message. And so let's get into it. I want to talk for a few minutes tonight about things that get tangled up together. Things that get tangled up together. Uh, I love to fly fish, and I get out there when I can. I estimate that for me, fly fishing is about 70, or about 30% fishing, and about 70% undoing tangled up fishing line. It's mostly just pulling hooks out of trees, and then trying to get my line untangled again. And what I notice about it is that once the line gets a good tangle in it, it feels impossible to undo. Sometimes if you're slow and patient and you follow every bend and loop, you can get it untangled. But if it was tangled up together long enough, what happens? No matter how many times you throw it, it just keeps wanting to get right back in the same mess that it was in before. But that's not the kind of tangled up that I want to talk about tonight. Just wanted to tell you that I like to fish. What I want to talk about is when two things are so dependent on each other that you never see one without the other. I'm talking about cookies and milk, Santa and reindeer, frankincense and myrrh, I guess. I've never actually seen either, so I don't know. My two oldest daughters are best friends. One is six and the other is three. And wherever one goes, the other is sure to follow. They're tangled up together all the time. The Christmas story in Luke tells us about two things that are tangled up together. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and let's read this part of the story tonight. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is... Well along in years, he was wise not to call her old as well. 
And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. This is the first angel in the Christmas story. The angel Gabriel first appears to this man, Zechariah, as he's praying to tell him that he's going to have a son. And his son is going to be a messenger. He's going to be a messenger, the one sent to prepare the way for the Lord, to, to share the message with as many people as he can. So Gabriel tells Zechariah, Zechariah basically says, you can't be serious. And because of that, uh, Gabriel's like, I am serious, and now you can't talk for nine months. Enjoy. <laughs> Gabriel is silent for six months. We don't see him again until one very special night and an appearance we're much more familiar with on Christmas goes like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's Zechariah's wife, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this... It's kind of like when your dad calls you over and says, Son, we need to talk. Well, she didn't know. Is this good? Is it bad? The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the, Holy, of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she, was, she who was unable to conceive is now in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That is Luke chapter 1 verse 37. Write it down and remember it. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. You know what I notice is that Mary responded exactly the same way that Zechariah did. And she didn't have her voice taken away. So they were not kidding about that you who are most favored thing. <laughs> she had some serious favoritism going her way. Mary gets this message from the angel and she treasures it up in her heart and she, she, know, she knows now that she's going to have a son and that her son is going to be the way, that John is coming to prepare the way and Mary's son will be called Jesus and he will be the way. Here's what I want you to see tonight on Christmas Eve. Here's why I read all that Bible verse very simply. Two things are all tangled up. In Luke's Christmas story, the message and the messenger. The message and the messenger. Luke jumps back and forth between the story of the birth of the messenger, John the Baptist, and the message that is Jesus. John's gospel does the same thing. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. All of John chapter 1 is like this, back and forth, back and forth between John the Baptist and Jesus, the message and the messenger, the message and the messenger, all tangled up. Why? Why is it so important that two out of our three versions of the Christmas story include the story this way, with John the Baptist's story all tangled up with Jesus, the message and the messenger? There was a major prophecy concerning the Messiah that said before he came that there would be a prophet like Elijah who would come and prepare the way. John was that prophet, so maybe the authors wanted us to know that this is a fulfilling of a prophecy. But Matthew's gospel is the gospel that's most concerned with making sure that we know that Jesus' coming fulfilled a lot of ancient prophecies. The other two aren't as worried about it. So why did they write the story this way? I think it was to help us understand that the message always has to be tangled up alongside a messenger. It requires a messenger. Who John was born to be was intricately connected to who Jesus is. And his purpose, his mission in this world was to tell the world that Jesus is coming. You know, one of our tendencies is to write ourselves into every story that we read. We insert ourselves into the narrative so that we can relate to it, so that we can understand it. And in most cases, we don't read a story or watch a movie and imagine ourselves as a, as a supporting cast member, right? You're, you're not watching it and an extra walks behind the scenes and you think, that's me, I'm that guy, that's who I want to be, that's who I am in this story. No, we always place ourselves in the position of the main character. We, we watch a movie and we connect with Spider-Man. Because in our world, we are Spider-Man. And we know that with great power comes great responsibility. We read a book and we connect with Frodo Baggins because we too wish we had not been born into times such as these. We hear a song and we connect with Taylor Swift because we too remember what it felt like to be 22 and everything will be alright if you keep me next to you. And what, what the problem is, is we tend to read the Bible and see ourselves as the main character. How is all of this about me? Where do I fit in the story? What's the part in this story that is most about me? The Bible is clearly a book about me and God. Me emphasized. How does it relate to my life? How does every event that has happened specifically about me? But you are not the main character in the Bible. That's not how we're meant to read it. It's not how we're meant to understand it. It's not how we're meant to interpret it. You're not the message. If you are going to find yourself in the Christmas story somewhere, find yourself in the position of the messenger. Tangled up alongside the message, purposed and called to tell people all about him. John writes this in his first chapter uh, of his gospel, speaking of John the Baptist when people would ask if he was the main character. People would always come to John the Baptist and say, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And it says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, 
I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to the ones who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. I am not the message. I am just the messenger. I am not the Messiah. I am just a voice. Let me bring all of this to Christmas Eve in Asheville, North Carolina. There's a lot going on in the world right now. First time we've had a Christmas Eve service in two years. Good to see you guys. <laughs> Last two years have been a wild ride. We're all collectively dealing with the trauma from seeing the world change overnight. And there's been so much fear and so much confusion and so much pain to distract us from our purpose. If we're honest, a lot of us have just been trying to survive. Many of us have questioned our resolve in these last two years, our, our resolve in our relationships, our resolve in our career paths, our resolve to keep on keeping on. And now it's Christmas, a second Christmas with everybody a little uncertain if we should hold to our traditions this year or if we should play it safe. Can I hug my grandmother? I don't know. She's going to try to hug me. What should I do? A Confused COVID Christmas, part two. But the first Christmas, it had a lot of confusion as well. It had collected trauma as well. People living in an occupied country. Soldiers marching up and down the streets, telling them where to go and when. There was a lot of fear in that first Christmas story as well. There was disruption. There was pain. There was all the same things that we feel today. But that wasn't all there was. Because in that first Christmas story, there was peace. Peace declared from on high, from angels singing it over the shepherds. A chorus declaring peace on earth. There was a well-ordered plan in motion. Despite all the confusion and the chaos not having any room in the end, not knowing where they were going or when, being forced to go travel for a census at nine months, pregnant. Where are the mamas at? That ain't right. There was also a well-ordered plan in place because God knew that exactly the right time and exactly the right place and exactly the right season and exactly the right position to bring his son into the world. There was life on the other side of pain Happening in that story, there was light in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. And there were witnesses at that first story whose whole role was just to testify to the world what they had seen. So Christians, followers of Jesus, as we come together tonight on Christmas Eve, I believe that the writers of the Christmas story wanted us to remember every Christmas as we look back and celebrate that there are two important things for us to grasp at the beginning of this story. Two stories that are being told from chapter 1 of Luke and chapter 1 of John. The message and the messenger. The message and the messenger. And the messenger matters because the story isn't just about a baby in a manger. 
It's about telling people what that baby was going to grow up to do. John the Baptist in John chapter 1 says, Behold the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. Zechariah, John's father, he got his ability to speak back when John the Baptist was born. And with his words, he wrote a song of praise, and here is what he said. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the path of peace. Church, Christmas Eve isn't just a time to reflect on the story of a baby in a manger. It's a time for us to remember our responsibility to tell the world about all that he would grow up to do. Who he came for. Why. When. The very idea that the first people to go and bear witness to him would be shepherds who were tending their flocks by night. It's about the birth of a man who would live a perfect life, fully God and fully man, who would never do a single thing that would separate him from God, and he would be the only man to ever accomplish that in all of our history. And then he, being perfect, would become the sacrifice of atonement for all people for all time. Christmas is our opportunity to celebrate that message and share it with the world around us like light in the darkness. John chapter 1 says that John came as a witness to testify concerning to the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. We are the witnesses to the light, church. There's a whole lot of darkness out there in this world. There's a whole lot of darkness in this place, in this neighborhood, in this town, in this community, in our families. And on Christmas and every day, our responsibility is to be that light. Tonight we're going to do something special in just a minute. A tradition going back a real long way. It's what I show up for. It's the only reason I want to come on Christmas Eve. I don't know about you. It's all about the fire. We're going to light some candles and sing a Christmas carol about that holy night that the, mes that the message was born. And as we do, I, I would encourage it, encourage you to let it be a reminder to you tonight and every night that your purpose, your calling as a follower of Jesus is to hold his light up high for all the world to see. The message and the messenger tangled up from the very beginning to the very end. If you're here tonight and you don't know the message yet, you haven't received him as your, as your savior, you haven't entered into a relationship with him, it's so simple. You know, there's no checklist that you got to check off before you do it. There's no, there's no list of things you have to accomplish. There's no set template for the person that you've got to be. God loves you exactly as you are, who you are, where you are. He made you to be who you are. And he's got big dreams for you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. And, and so if you would like to enter into relationship with him, all you have to do is say yes to the gift that he offered you all those years ago that began on that special Christmas evening. And so, if you would like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, every head bowed, 
And every eye closed, would you just say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for every mistake, for trying to do it on my own. I believe in you. And I give my life to you tonight. All that I am from this moment forward, I, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen.